The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. The misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the mad ones. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your I've already decorated for Christmas and you can't stop me host Cam Harless. And with me as always is your why don't I see a Christmas tree behind you right now hostess Miss Jessica Green. I have one Christmas tree and it's out in the main part of the house so that you can see it. I don't know if you um, have been to the south but our doors all have this like big window over them so you can see into people's houses. I don't know why this is but I have to position my tree so that you can see it from the road. This is a requirement. So I have one tree is, over there. Is it up already or are you slack? No, no, um, I'm going out of town and uh, for Thanksgiving. So I'm gonna put it up after I get back. Monster. I got, a lot, I got a lot of things to do, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm, I'm, I just love Jesus more than you. So uh, oh. <laughs> before we get started with the show, which I'm excited about because it's just a lovely guest who everyone loved and mentioned and shared our episode on death last time. Before we get to that, uh, I do want to mention we do have people who uh, help us out by letting us give you promo codes to buy their products. And, you know, uh, first off, I'm disappointed that Jessica hasn't bought one of our mugs yet to show off yet. I didn't know they were up. I will then. <sighs> I told you, I sent you a link, Jessica. But oh. if you want to fill a mug, first off, we do have them. It's in the description. But if you want some good coffee, Run Your Mouth Coffee has some great bourbon barrel aged coffee that I just love. And if you go to their website, rymcoffee.com, and use promo code THEMADONES, you get 10% off. Likewise, if you like dried meats, Righteous Felon has some great dried meats, some, some beef jerky, if you will, at their mm -hmm. website, righteousfelon.com. And if you use promo code MADONES there, you get 10% off. So beyond that, uh, get on our Patreon because the people who are watching this right now um, can only do so because they're patrons. And you could be here with us making comments, doing the thing, but you're not. So you should go ahead and join our Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash the mad ones. Beyond that, let's uh, go ahead and bring in our guest um, tonight which is, it's daytime right now. But tonight, we are joined once again by a very lovely lady from across the pond, a PhD in 19th century Gothic literature, a writer, a public speaker, a lover of the paranormal, graveyards, headstones, and spiritualism, the woman behind Burials and Beyond, Dr. Kate Cheryl. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I, I'm <laughs> first very apologetic. I don't have a Christmas tree up. <laughs> But, you know, in terms of Jesus, I've got a whacking great, where is it? There you are. There's, yeah. there's the lad. There's a whacking yeah. great cross there. So, you, you know, I offer that as penance. I, I yes. will, I will, I will accept it. Only person who gets shunned is Jessica. So. <laughs> it's because he hates hobbits and I'm very, very small. So well, it's the he thing. hates if my you, people. If you put up a Christmas tree, you become an elf and you come back into my favor. <laughs> and that's the only move you need to make. 
Oh, dear. <laughs> so the last time we talked to Kate, we had an episode about death, which when I told people we were having an episode about death, they were like, why? And I was like, because people don't talk about it and they don't talk about kind of the particulars, how it affects them, um, kind of the cultural aspects of it. And uh, then people watched and we had several people talk about how much they loved hearing you talk about death, hearing us have, give our little personal anecdotes and they shared it. Um, some people were too afraid to watch it, but hey. Uh, it was well received, except for the scaredy cats. So I'm happy yeah. to have you back. And at the end of that episode, you we talked about spiritualism briefly, especially Gothic spiritualism and or yeah, Gothic. Am I saying Victorian and Gothic? These are kind of terms it's, you can use. Big Venn diagram and okay. spiritualism can kind of just wibble about. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Right. Well, I want to talk about that. I'm sure Jessica knows more about spiritualism than I do. And so, because she's all, all kinds of excited about talking about it. And I'm like, I just want to <laughs> learn. So what is what is it about uh, spiritualism, especially in that era? Because it seemed very prevalent in that time. Mm -hmm. uh, what what drew you to study this? And tell just tell us about it. Tell us why we should be interested in wow. this era. Um, well, spiritual, spiritualism, if I could say it. <laughs> um, particularly 19th century spiritualism, I think is one of the few movements. Well, it's, it's a religious movement, but also it was a cultural movement. It was a mm -hmm. social movement. And it's, it affected most of the Western world, or at least Europe and, and the Americas, in a, in a huge way that we haven't really seen since, especially in terms of religious fervor. And it developed so quickly um, as far as like beliefs and methodologies and it still continues to influence a lot of what we believe today even if it's and a lot of it we don't realize I think spiritualism affected as much how maybe if you know if you're a Christian maybe if it it has informed so many people's personal relationship with worship and with kind of spiritual religious connections as much as it's influenced something as as silly and mundane as as, as ghost hunting yeah. you know it, it was this huge and politically you know huge characters across spiritualism influenced the whole world so you know you'll you'll look into i think spiritualism like so many things is like a rabbit warren so in especially in american spiritualism you can just get so obsessed with individual people in the 19th century and mm -hmm. you'll find you know abraham lincoln wasn't a particularly signed up Christian, you know, he wasn't Protestant, he wasn't Catholic. He was big into spiritualism, who had his own personal spiritualist called Nettie Coburn Maynard, who was a child medium. And then mm -hmm. you think, oh God, mediums could have more political influence. And then you look into other mediums and like the Comstock profanity laws, they came in because of warring mediums. So there's, there's all this influence and a lot of gender studies to be had. It's just a huge, fascinating movement that as soon as you think you've scratched the surface, you realize exactly how little you know. And it, it drew scientists into madness. It brought Martian kings into drawing rooms. It, it was the most amazing, fascinating movement. And if you like people and studying people, there's no better way to look into mad ones 
to my people <laughs> than if you're saying, yeah. okay, let's talk about a naked French woman who used to run around the seance room with cardboard cutouts of kings saying that they were, you know, the living dead. I mean, that's wow. a conversation starter and ender all in one. <laughs> you couldn't be obsessed with this sort of thing. When you um, talk about like individual people to kind mm -hmm. of uh, focus on in this territory, I um, came into studying this because I was studying the Russian Revolution and the role that the death of Rasputin played in sort of like beginning this whole process of the the devolution of the Tsar's family and his wife, um, who was English, uh, well, she was German by birth, but she was raised hand raised by Queen Victoria in that era um, became an ardent Orthodox Christian as many converts do, and then had a sickly son. And so she was very prone to this sort of um, cultural movement, which suggested that through these, you know, spiritual channels, things could, otherworldly things could interact with our world. And it was af after the death of this man because many it, who were politically connected through the royal family believed that he was actually influencing the royal family and in many ways probably was. And his death honestly was sort of this trigger that kind of changed the modern world in a lot of ways, especially for people living in what would become the USSR. So um, my interest in it kind of um, was vague before that, but then realizing how influential these people were in modern politics is actually something to take note of. The thing about Abraham Lincoln, I didn't know that, but it makes sense because he also had a sickly child that died. And so, you know, there seems to me to be like a lot of grieving parents who might have been taken in um, and kind of, you know, still are. There were p figures like John Edwards who used to sort of pretend to talk to the dead and things of this nature. Um, you know, I, I, I think that there is something to be said about people wanting to connect with their departed ones. And then they're always going to be charlatans ready to take advantage of that. You know, whether you're a political figurehead or not, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's. I think with, with anything relating to kind of death and comfort, especially if money's being exchanged, you know, there's, you always need to consider comfort, personal development and enjoyment are all perfectly valid, but there has always been um, a big element of exploitation, you know, in spiritualism and in modern mediumship, things like that. Not, that's not to say that, you know, I'd, I'd never tar everyone and say, you know, there's, there's nothing in this, but certainly as with, with any field, there are people who are out for personal gain. And that hasn't been, especially, yeah, when you're, you know, looking at people who have like you say, lost children who are arguably, you know, the most vulnerable. It's one of the like the greatest tragedies one could really suffer. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, there are there are so many accounts over the centuries of mediums, mediums, I'll use that inverted commas, um, <laughs> learning their craft from someone else, a bit mm -hmm. kind of honor among thievesy in in certain parts of um, spiritualism. And then going straight away and finding someone who's recently bereaved, people who aren't aren't foolish. I think there's there's a an element that I think a lot of us still fall into today when it comes to anyone who's maybe been defrauded or you know like romantically defrauded, as you see on on a lot of a lot of TLC shows that are on late yeah. at night. You know, we do look at them and think, oh, how could they be so stupid? They must be 
the most foolish person in the world when really these people are of sound mind you know they might be high up in authority they're just grieving and so we do kind of reach out for the closest thing that will bring us an iota of comfort and that's always in the way there's um there's a brilliant book called um behind the scenes with the mediums by a which is it looks really imposing it's a doorstop of a book but it's an easy read so and um it's i think it's from 19 i think it's 1907 and it's by an american magician called david p abbott who was a magician turned debunker and when he saw a lot of his stage tricks being just done as he'd always done them but being told that they were actually now they they were this amazing mystical power um he went round the country, collected loads of stories, and within those stories, there are there are a lot of instances of um, there was like a, a judge, so obviously a very intelligent man whose wife had recently died, and this medium um, took many sittings with this judge, a lot of money was exchanged, and then, as was quite popular for a time, he, manifestation mediumship was. So you wouldn't just contact the dead; the dead would come into the room. You know, they'd materialise and potter about a bit. I'm paraphrasing. They didn't really <laughs> potter and do the dusting, but stuff. Um, and so this judge eventually had the spirit of his uh, deceased fiance come into the seance room and ask for this incredibly hefty diamond ring that was her engagement ring. And so the spirit took away this ring and um, dematerialised it shall we say <laughs> and although the the judge might have felt momentarily comforted by the appearance of his fiance who was just a, a bloke in a sheet um there's definitely a lot a lot to be said for <clears throat> being careful and and realizing that yeah exploitation through spiritualism and through spiritual matters is is a long and rich tradition mm. as, as much as you know seance and things like that yeah um, I so when I was looking into kind of Victorian spiritualism when we talked about it previously, I there was a list of people who were notable in uh, within that um, within the whole situation, and I actually got con confused on it. One of them that was really into it was Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of um, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. and on the inverse was um, Charles Dickens, who wrote a book about a man who flew around with, with spirits, uh, right? If that's a, the Christmas carol, a Christmas carol. And, but he was the one who, he was one who was writing articles against spiritualism. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was where my confusion lied, uh, laid, laid, lay, lay, lay. I think it's, it's, lay. it's, it's done though. So I don't know. We'll see. It was there. It's laid to rest. <laughs> it's dead. Um, but, uh, it, I, my my curiosity is who do you think in that time i mean obviously arthur conan doyle is an interesting name within that rudyard kipling i believe was also in the mix with that um proponents of the spiritualism but who do you think is the most interesting people that were into this and what they added to the conversation um, in terms of conversation as in they weren't mediums I think well I think I think Dickens is really interesting especially this time of year. It's like yeah. let's let's get all the Dickens out. Let's get all the <laughs> Christmas carol and the finest adaptation of all which of course we all know is the Muppet version. Absolutely. Um, so I think Dickens is really interesting because we'd all expect him to be yeah. big into spiritualism. He should do. He wrote 
as you say, about moralistic spirits. But Dickens was really in with superstition and the supernatural. Mm. But there was still this, there wasn't a, a big line drawn between the two at the time. So he was into the supernatural, but not into um, the spiritualist. So like not connect, connecting with them, just... I think he them. he just dismissed it from the word go. So as much as he'd write and, and reap success from writing yeah. about spirits and traditional Christian morality, um, in his magazines at the time, he would publish countless articles attacking the spiritualist movement. And again, doing the the familiar sort of attack of these people are credulous. They are so stupid. Look at me. Yeah. I'm I've got all my stuff together. Which really, if you look at Dickens's life, oh no, you didn't, Sunshine. You were a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a wrongen. Um, but Conan Doyle, this is this is like no great academic uh, description. <laughs> Dickens, wrongen. Conan Doyle, sad. Um, so, <laughs> but Conan Doyle, he he again he suffered a series of of tragedies. I think he had a son and a, a brother die in quite quick succession, and so he went in for spiritualism for um yeah for kind of grieving purposes but he was he's a fascinating man and he's he wrote some really brilliant thorough books on the history of spiritualism that have recently just been republished in really nice editions um, affordable editions because mm. you know these sort of things they go for daft money nowadays but i find him <laughs> really interesting because he was he wrote the greatest detective mind ever and then if you if you search a handful of relatively well-known victorian mediums who were very publicly debunked and shown to be fraudulent if you even just click on their wikipedia pages there'll be a bit that says arthur conan doyle investigated so and so and found them to be <laughs> legitimate you know and then the next line will be houdini came in a fortnight later and pulled a sheet up and realised that they had an accordion strapped to their head, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, Conan Doyle I find fascinating and quite tragic in a way, especially because he and Houdini were opposite sides of the coin. You know, they were both investigating mediums, but for very different, um, very different ends. And they were quite pally until, yeah, they, they had quite a, big, uh, quite a big falling out. And I think Conan Doyle's wife... Um, took herself to be a bit of a medium towards the end and with Houdini pretended to channel his mother and I do say pretended because I do think it was fraudulent I think she was just giddy and carried away with it all but Houdini and his mother were incredibly close you know every I think most books that Houdini wrote certainly um there's one that I've got um by my bed at the minute is dedicated to his you know beloved mother they had this intense really tight relationship and then suddenly your your mate's wife comes around saying i'm channeling your dead mother Good lord and very unconvincingly yeah. and so understandably there was a lot of fallout from that and i think most people would would kind of react the same today so I've, i find it quite a shame that conan doyle's obsession and very trusting obsession kind of brought about the downfall of his own reputation but also a lot of relationships yeah. but he was prolific really prolific in spiritualism so i find him very interesting um yeah people like william crooks who you might be familiar with he was a, a victorian scientist 
who I often pretend to understand uh, his work, <laughs> even though it's way above me. But his work, um, he worked in like a development of something that later led to x-rays. He, you know, it's all this very okay. complicated stuff that is incredibly dull to me because I am <laughs> scatterbrain. And um, he was an incredibly uh, well-respected scientist who also fell into spiritualism, really interesting man. But again, with uh, spiritualism messing with people's reputations after his death, he did some very, very high uh, profile investigations with people like Florence Cook, who was a child medium and some of the Fox sisters. And after his death to preserve his scientific reputation, his family destroyed most of his um, studies, his files, his ephemera on spiritualism wow. to try and rewrite his history, yeah. which didn't work and has just left us with quite a sad potted legacy. Mm -hmm. Whereas really, if we had those documents, if we had some of these original photos, that would be amazing, you know, be an yeah. amazing uh, addition to the world of, of psychical science and psychical study. But I think that there's countless I waffle about spiritualism. I just find it so brilliant because there are so many interesting people. Yeah. What do you yeah. think sort of um, caused the rise of this movement? And what do you think was its eventual downfall if it had one? Um, the rise, I suppose it, spiritualism came about during a time of quite religious fervor, especially in, mm -hmm. in the States. If we, there's a lot of arguments about exactly how spiritualism began because um, the precursor to spiritualism was a movement called mesmerism. And there was a lot of interest in ideas of um, psychic connection, animal magnetism, this kind of primal sort of proto-telepathy that many scientists, especially in Europe, were, were very interested in. And in um, the States at the time, um, I think the Mormons were just... So Joseph Smith, I'm, I'm trying so hard not to be... Um, not to be rude about any beliefs because I know the way I speak can seem so dismissive when actually I'm just like little jolly country bumpkin trying to talk about things. Um, so there, there was the the shakers were going on. The mm -hmm. Mormons were just finding their feet. There was uh, religious tent revivals. Were mm -hmm. I mean I know we, we kind of think of them as like fifties and sixties sort of things. They were yeah. huge at this right. time <clears throat> and. With developments like with Dickens, or Dickens, with Darwin, um, and a more Christian science approach on the horizon, and a rise in secularism, and mm. more questions arising from things like theories of evolution, things like that, a lot of people were crying out for um, an escape from materialism, kind of, but also a, a kind of reiteration of the legitimacy of. Christ's resurrection. Mm. That was right, a big part right. in, um, in 19th century spiritualism, definitely. Um, but also this kind of, you know, mortality rate, especially for children, were so high. But with so many developments happening, you know, you have the telegraph, you have these really huge, big developments. So that seemed completely impossible for centuries. So people were thinking, well, now I can send a message this quickly. Why shouldn't I be able to talk to the dead? Because it seemed to be the age of development, yeah. the age of optimism. And a lot of people genuine, genuinely believed that through the Industrial Revolution and things like that, that God was bestowing blessings on the 19th century. So a lot of it just seemed like, well, of course, why, why shouldn't we be able to? So it, it happened at the right time. 
-hmm. And really, it, it, the general consensus is that spiritualism as we know it began in 1848 um, with the Fox sisters, who were okay. a, trying to do super duper potted history. They were um, <laughs> a family that lived um, in a farmhouse in Hydesville in Rochester, New York. And the two youngest sisters, um, Kate and Margaret, who were 11 and 14 at the time, um, this is super duper potted. House was troubled by knocks and bangs and things like that. No one could uh, attribute them to anyone living. So the two youngest girls established a system of like call and response knocks and rap or raps, as we call them, with this spirit. They named this spirit. Uh, they identified it as a spirit firstly, and then they called it Mr. Splitfoot, which was uh, an old nickname for the devil. Not creepy uh, at all. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, why don't you just call it like Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, let's have a chat. Well, Spring Hill Jack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they started giving um, public displays quite quickly afterwards at like local the local town hall and they were encouraged by their neighbors who were quakers so there was there's a lot of little religious groups surrounding kind of the inception of spiritualism so although today like if you go into most church communities that once nurtured spiritualism if you mention spirit contact they'll say oh no it's the work of the devil you know you don't know what you're dealing with you're tampering you know right, things right. like that whereas actually spiritualism was really helped along by religious groups because it came along at the right time and it's then yeah and spiritualism kind of it's still going today there are spiritualist churches um all over the world still but it had a, a resurgence um during the first world war big time it's just because yeah the the casualties obviously were were huge and it was death on a scale that most of that generation had never encountered before mm -hmm. so yeah. people were crying out for comfort again and and there was a little little resurgence during the second world war as well so in times of war you know it's it's always the way but because of constant debunkings and people's claims were getting so grand and more and more people were being shown to be fraudulent or exploitative that's when it kind of faded out and it faded out and then the the stragglers that we see from kind of mediumship and spiritualist performance mediumship we kind of only see today as performance mediums like um uh teresa caputo the long island medium and miss, miss cleo well there Do you, you go miss cleo miss i don't cleo. know if you ever got those okay so in in america at least um there <laughs> there was a phone it was, it was essentially like a, a psychic phone line oh yeah. okay and these ads were everywhere. If you haven't seen them, you need to Google them. But Miss Cleo was this woman who was a, was a black lady who was very clearly faking a Jamaican accent. It was bad. <laughs> and she, so, so, like, throughout my childhood, there'd be jokes about, call me now. Yeah. Because that was Miss Cleo. And then there was John, John Edwards. He was John he Edwards. Was yeah. Well. So he had a, a television show. Uh, the name escapes me at the time, but he would uh, talk over? to your crossing over. Thank you. And I, I watch that show all the time. It came out when I was a teenager. So I was like, Ooh, he's talking to the dead. And um, it turned out, they found out that he was hiding microphones um, in the audience. And so he would hear people saying, Oh, I hope he contacts my mother. She died of cancer, so on and so forth. So he eventually was debunked um, himself for doing this, but it was like a, 
ragingly popular show for like a year or two before it got debunked. And for me, that was kind of like the um, the nail in the coffin, so to speak, for my little romp through spiritualism, because I really thought, you know, he was making contact with the spirit world. And um, I also had a little foray in my teen years into like the ghost hunting thing. We had um, what what's called the abandoned insane asylum near us in our town. I live in a little small town in rural Georgia. And what it is, it's like a hospital facility that got shut down in the 70s. And a lot of the things got left inside of it. So there are still like tables and x-rays kind of littered all over the ground. And it's sort of a creepy place for teenagers to go at night and wander through with flashlights and things of this nature. Um, it's, it's, it's a creepy place, don't get me wrong. But um, there is that you know, strain of ghost hunting uh, popularity that is still existent today. Um, those shows are all over the place mm -hmm. still. So to me, I feel like the spiritual spiritualism movement didn't die, so to speak. It just kind of like changed forms. And so yeah. now we have people with like electronic devices going around and like, um, what are they called? EVPs, where you'll yeah. record sound and then you'll enhance it on a computer and then the person um, suggests to the audience what is being said. And once you've had it suggested to you what this garbled little piece of uh, audio is saying, you then hear it the same way yourself. So there's a lot of like suggestion yeah. going yeah. on with that too. But, um, you know, for teenage girls, it's really easy to uh, fall into that kind of, you want there to be something magical and something special and something otherworldly going on. And so you, you know, are easily taken in by this sort of thing. But I think that over the years, even like ghost hunters, the most popular one of them, ghost hunters has been shown multiple times to uh, be faking things and um, doing sort of like shady. They pretend mm. that they're not, I don't know how they're still popular though. Cause they've been debunked so many times, but um, yeah, I, I, I think there is, I think it's still here. I think it still exists. It's just much more, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's it's more of a circus act now. Yeah. Like the, the flea circus. Like, oh, <laughs> I, I see the fleas. I see the fleas. You know it's machinery underneath doing it. But in your heart, you want to think they're, oh, I see the fleas. They're really there. Yeah, it I, I think this was sorry. No, I was just saying, it makes me think of that meme, the little video. I think it was from BuzzFeed where the guy is walking into a ghost encounter and he goes, Hey there, demons, it's me, your boy. And I, yeah. the plays in my head. That's I love that so, so much. I have it on a little badge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have on, on my on my rucksack because I'm a real cool kid. It's Hey there, demons, it's me, your boy. <laughs> I've, I've got the one. Um, Every November 1st, I post it because I, I love it. And he says, uh, bye, ghosts. I love you. And it's like um, you go from the Halloween season into the holiday yeah. season. It says, bye, ghosts. I love you. Oh, uh, brilliant. One, of the, one yeah. of the things I came across, there were a couple of quotes from kind of big opponents of uh, spiritualism, which mm -hmm. one of them was Alfred Lord Tennyson, the poet. Mm -hmm. And I just love these two quotes are just so I, I like I like how they put these words together. Um, Alfred Lord Tennyson said, I'm convinced that God and the ghosts of men would choose something other than mere table legs through which to speak to the heart of man. Yeah. And then this other one, I don't know who Anthony Trollope is, 
Um, but he wrote, when tables wrap and boards write and dead young women come and tickle my knee under a big table, I find the manifestations to be unworthy of the previous grand ceremony of death. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're good quotes, but also, good quote. <laughs> who doesn't want to play with a board and have a young woman tickle their knee under the table? That sounds yeah. like an amazing <laughs> night out. And that is yeah. why ghost hunting remains popular. I risk right. my case. <laughs> right. Well, it's yeah. like, so you said it really started in 18, did you say 48? Yeah. Yeah. If we, yeah. If we take it from the Fox sisters, then, then we're talking 1848. Okay. Cause that, well, it's like when I think of spiritualism, I of course then go to the darker side of things where mm. people went into the occult, really occultism yeah. separate, but very tied together. Um, Alistair Crowley, I believe he was born mm. in the late 1800s and he was, was he order of the golden dawn? Yeah. I forget. Yeah. But do you, he seems like he would be very much a product of spiritualism. Would you think that that's the case or? Kind of, I think he went more in, I'm by no means an expert on, on Crowley's, someone that I really should read more on. Um, but he, I think he fell more in with theosophy to begin with, which in itself was an offshoot from spiritualism because that was Madame Blavatsky. Um, but he was really into, um, I'm going to keep it PG, but he was really into sex magic, which is a yeah. obviously a, a form of form of spiritualism, I suppose. But within sex magic, there were some um, enormous figures of spiritualism in there, like uh, Pascal Beverly Randolph, who was um, he was a, a mixed race medium uh, in the nineteenth century. Who was he? Was an abolitionist. He was an abolitionist and sex magician. Immediately, go out and buy his autobiography. It's amazing. <laughs> but you know, I, I think Crowley was more driven by nihilism and um kind of self self-determination in a way whereas a lot of spiritualists were happy to exist within these like preformed um parameters of their place in the wider world and that was god's world rather than um crowley who was just kind of obviously do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law yeah you know so i i think he's he's more sort of skirting around the edge of spiritualism i think but i find he's very interesting man yeah well you you mentioned madame blavatsky who Mm. you don't hear a lot about like in the wider world you very rarely hear about this but Mm. she was all her writing was also if i'm remembering correctly uh part of what hitler used in understanding like the aryan race and why he, he kind of he brought that into his worldview which led to what happened in world war ii yeah yeah, the, the, I don't I don't fully understand her views because I haven't dived into them very deeply. But no, I'm I'm not too hot on theosophy. But um I have just I have just bought uh, the biography of the Nazi Party's um official uh, medium, which is mm-hmm. something I don't think people thought that the Nazis were big into the occult. Oh yeah, really I mean, it, it, it yeah, makes yeah. it and they had their own personal movies. mediums, yeah. It is yeah, like just, Hellboy. Yeah, <laughs> there, there were um, also at that time um, am- amid the Nazis, there were these women and I don't know if it was just specific to Nazism or to Germany at the time, but these women mediums who would um, grow their hair out very long and it was considered like sort of the source of their psychic power that they would have this great 
like I quaff, I think it's called, like really, really mm -hmm. long hair. Um, do you know anything about this? The long haired women? Not okay. especially. I just know I think that a lot of um the beliefs surrounding the the kind of the Nazis interpretation of spiritualism was kind of a, a bastardized versions of like biblical parables. I think if you see more lines drawn, like hair and strength and things like that, I think a lot yeah. of it was drawn from this Aryan rewriting of right. of of strength and um, of virtue. Mm -hmm. and of course, you know, long hair to a lot of people of, of that era was seen as kind of the paragon of of feminine virtue. So right, there's a lot of mysticism right. interlink with with the uh, yeah parables. Again, there's just a, so much reinterpretation. Whereas in especially the UK at the same time, there were just as many mediums, just as many working mediums, but they weren't they were monitored by the war authorities, but they weren't celebrated or uh, publicly employed by right, right. Um, war boards. Whereas, I mean, in the I suppose the most famous medium in the UK from that era is Helen Duncan, who was the last woman to be, um, she wasn't She wasn't convicted, but I think she was the last woman to be prosecuted under the Witchcraft Act, as in the oh, 18th wow. century Witchcraft Act. Um, yeah, because at a, um, a private seance, Helen Duncan's a very divisive figure. Um, a lot of people today will, you know, swear until their last breath that she was a phenomenally powerful medium but also she did do a lot with um ectoplasm and when you get into ectoplasm it's a it's a great love of mine um but it's especially when you get investigated by bodies such as the spr and you run out of investigations when people might realize that you're re-swallowing some cheesecloth then i think your reputation's a little bit on the wane but she was at a um a private seance and gave news of one of the sitters I think it was her son could be completely wrong but it was someone related to one of the sitters um, who had just died and um, basically she gave away information about this uh, battleship mm -hmm. that had gone down and it was not public information it was only known to to the authorities and this got reported back and they they believed that she could be a spy that she could be um, working with the Axis powers and so the only way that they could really get her away from giving away mm -hmm. state secrets was to prosecute her under the witchcraft act so there, there wasn't wow. that, that same sort of um handy relationship between the mm -hmm. two parties it was very much us and then let's keep an eye on these people mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so that is interesting i i still don't know how how she got that information because no one knew there was um during the 60s the 50s and 60s the u.s government looked very sincerely into using psychics and psychic powers as part mm. of their whole military industrial complex that they were building. And um, there was a, it's a comedy, but um, that the, the men who stare at goats mm. uh, came out yeah. a few years ago. Um, although that's meant that that is a comedic movie, there were sincere efforts on the part of the US government to study this. And some of the studies, I mean, it's not all debunked. Some of it is like, hey, we found measurable things that people were able to do, which I think is very interesting because if you're looking into this is to use it for, you know, the advancement of political causes or weaponry or this kind of thing, you're going to be very serious about your data taking. 
And um, in that vein, they didn't debunk everything. They didn't say, oh, this is a whole lot of hogwash. I don't th I think they ever found it reliable enough to use, or at least from the public's perception, we were told they never found anything reliable enough to use. But, um, you know, even, even governments around the world looked very seriously into mm -hmm. using these people as a, as a means, yeah, which I think yeah. is interesting. It is. I think um, Yuri Geller as well, who is, again, people will fall into one of two very <laughs> distinct camps with him, the um, famous spoon bender, shall we say. He, yeah. he is, um, on several occasions, even in his own work, he's written about how he was tested and investigated by the CIA, I think it was, who um, reportedly didn't disprove his powers. But like you said, they didn't employ him to do anything, but they certainly tested him. Um, mm -hmm. So I do find that interesting. But what, what were they actually hoping to achieve? You know, what was the end goal? Were they going to just ship out mediums into a war zone and, you know, try and figure right. out what the next, what the next uh, plan of attack was? But I think Yuri Geller, as much as he is dismissed as, again, being a charlatan or, or anything like that, I think a lot of what he has, um, he has gone through, a lot of what is publicised and for every strange claim, there's something really interesting beneath all of that. Because he's had mm -hmm. an amazing life, a really fantastic life. And he's been, you know, debunked by James Randi, the late, great uh, James Randi. And then will get a seal of approval from the CIA. So I think it's it's amazing how these people just swing between, um, between camps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think one of the tests that I read about involved... Um, an egg inside of a glass case that they would have people focus on and try to break the egg. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't suggest to me that they were um, going to use people of this nature for peaceful means. No. And so if anything, I'm glad, <laughs> I, I'm hopeful and glad that that didn't work out for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that what's, what interests me about all of this, partially is like you said the um because you, you if you watch there are a lot of it seems to come in comic book movies or in indiana jones more than anything but the the nazis and the occult because it's like if you if you look at um indiana jones they were trying to get it was very like christian centered so they were like that's fiction obviously but they wanted the uh, ark of the covenant so that they could use that against their enemies which is such a bizarre thing when you understand, I don't know, I, it, these people trying to do war in the name of God, but also not like this, it, the, the, the Hitlers of the world make zero sense to me. Cause like, what was his religious standing anyway? Like what they, some people say Christian, some people say he wasn't, but he was definitely into the occult. It's like this bizarre amalgam of things. Like if you look at captain America, his main antagonist, at least in the movies, is uh, Red Skull, who was a part of Hydra, which was the occult part of the Nazi party and the Nazi war machine. And I'm like, how much of this is overblown and how much of it is true that they were into this kind of spiritual occult stuff? Because it does seem like the government, regardless of what side you're on, is dipping into this in, in ways I didn't realize, I didn't know about the eggs. You know, like, what, what were they doing? What, what is it about trying to find mystical powers because you'd, you'd think that if anything they would want people not to look into this because it would kind of threaten their own power 
as it were. So I think the idea was um, they thought the Russians were doing it. So they said, if the Russians are doing it, we better do it too. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of things in this world have developed as a result of um, Dick paranoia of the Russians. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, Russia has like the GDP of a state, like a single one of our states. So, you know, like... Um, but yeah, let's uh, make sure that if the Russians have a, a psychic army, that we have a psychic army too. <laughs> so, but thing, the the thing about that is, like, if if they did develop that, they wouldn't tell anyone. So it's like, yeah, we got told that. Oh, okay, yeah, we found out that this wasn't really worth our time. That's what we got told. But if you had a psychic army, why would you tell anyone about that? You wouldn't. So mm. I always I I have that little suspension of disbelief that like. I don't know, maybe they did come up with something. They certainly didn't disprove everything. And that's very interesting. <laughs> so, spiritualism. So it started with some little girls who were knocking <laughs> on walls. And, and then well, they it took over... On walls, but, mm-hmm. What were they knocking on? Took it tables? sounded like they were knocking on walls. I wish they were knocking on walls. But um, when they made knocking noises, it was uh, either a... Firstly, they used an apple on the end of a string. They confessed this many years later when they were about to be quite destitute and some of them became very um, reliant on alcohol. Um, that they, and it's a very public confession in the newspaper and then in a hall in New York. It was very dramatic. But firstly, they'd use an apple on the end of the string under the floorboards and pull it up. And apparently sometimes the noises were so loud it sounded like someone was moving furniture. So this wasn't just little, you know, little taps. And but most commonly, when they gave their demonstrations, they um, they clicked their toe joints, and it was oh. that snapping of the toe joint that was. I know that's that's why I, I was hoping that they were knock, knocking on walls instead. But those those knocks of toe joints were so loud that they would echo around concert halls. Yeah. They they were, wow. and some say that they were able to do these knocks regardless of the situation but many more sources say that when the girls feet were placed on a cushion then they couldn't produce the same raps mm-hmm. so i mean I, my main concern would be i bet they suffered with really bad arthritic joints from yeah. doing that all the time but um yeah that was that was how they they did it really yes. again it's like again so many people still believe in the fox sisters but when they demonstrated later how they did it it's a bit Wait, do people still believe in them even though they Ooh. said they why? Well, it's I suppose it's like so many like so many famous mediums. Unlike the uh, aforementioned very famous uh, ghost hunter. I think it's I think I know which one you're on about. That you can argue that <clears throat> you know, we needed we needed results. Like there's a famous there's a famous medium in the 60s and 70s called Doris Stokes in the UK and if you're doing big, um, big arenas, big readings all the time, and you're not getting, you know, the spirits aren't talking. Let's let's just take it that these people are legitimate and they have powers. So mm-hmm. if the spirits aren't talking to you, and you have a room of two thousand people who have all paid to have messages, very few people would have the resolve or the financial ability to then say to these people, "I'm so sorry, I'm getting nothing. You're all going to have to go home," or if you're being filmed. You know, plenty do say they do. You know, if nothing happens, we'll be honest. But many more will be under under contracts or under a kind of perceived pressure 
to produce results you know when when it's just not going to happen so i think if someone confesses to fraud once and then says no but the rest of it was legitimate that's when it casts their whole career into kind of a sense of scrutiny and i think that's really what happens with most mediums you know the argument is okay yeah they they confessed to this or they faked this but the rest of it was real and that's you know i think that's that's kind of a long standing problem with with spiritualism especially when it's performance based and when we're looking into personal gain but the fox sisters are still revered i mean the the original fox sisters house um in hydesville was removed uh god when was it removed in the late 19th century and taken to the commune of lilydale the spiritualist commune and rebuilt there and was almost like a shrine for for a few decades until i think it burned down in the in the 40s or 50s Mm-hmm. Um, because it was wood and America, so everything seems to burn down at one point. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're still still revered. A lot of a lot of big mediums that have very questionable pasts are still right. you know, still beloved. Right, right. I think people don't want to lose that connection to the idea that they there is an afterlife, you know, mm-hmm. and and they can't find it through traditional religious means, so they. You know, convince themselves of these the authenticity of these spiritual people, and say mm-hmm. spiritualist people, and say, you know, this is this is proof. This is what I need. So it's it's very personal too. It's like we were talking about earlier. A lot of people who succumb to this thinking um, have lost children or a loved one or something mm-hmm. of that nature. And there is also you know like cold reading people who are able mm-hmm. to determine through you know your expressions and your responses to certain answers. They can uh, very easily lead you to tell them what you are wanting to hear from them. Um, much to my great shame, in my early 20s, I did uh, tarot card readings in this exact fashion. I didn't um, have any, I, I barely knew how to read the cards um, or what the symbolism behind the cards was, but the people who would want readings from me for them would lead me um, through you know, just my ability to perceive what they wanted to hear would lead me through the path of what they wanted to be told during the reading. And um, while I never claimed to be able to speak for the dead or anything like that, I could see how someone who was skilled in this could get it, get it all from your expression, get it all from your eyes, exactly what you wanted your dear departed aunt to tell you. Mm. And, you know, um, I, I, I paid my rent a couple of times. Uh, doing that but my my thinking to myself while I was doing it was well they're paying for an experience I'm giving them a show I'm giving them a little experience and so that was kind of the um, way morally I made it make sense to myself was you know they're paying for this this little experience Um, the reason I quit doing it is because uh, a kid um, who was maybe 11 or 12 years old asked me to do a reading for her and I felt terrible try like that it could influence the direction of the rest of this girl's life if i told her one thing or another the wrong way so i gave her a very truncated three card little just do your best and you know try to be true to yourself and just like give her what i thought would be good life advice and then i never did it again because i said oh god what if what if something i said to someone could send them down a, a path to their ultimate destruction and um, yeah, there, but you know, there are a lot of people without the screw, without scruples 
who will, yeah. you know, take money from grieving people and things of this nature. So my, my interest in it um, always came from a very skeptical side, like mm. just kind of like um, I knew what I was doing. So yeah. I felt they knew what they were doing too. And um, I, I do, however, think it's very interesting in some cases there does seem to be this nugget of truth that you couldn't pick up from just looking at someone's face. Like you'd have no way to know these things. Um, and maybe you know his name. I, I I can't recall it off the top of my head, but there used to be this physician who would um, go into trances and he would determine what was um, medically wrong with people. Mm. He was able yeah. to, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you remember There's his name or not. Several. It was a okay. psychic psychic surgery and um, yeah, that was a, a whole movement. I mean, the first I think the first guy that really did it was um, Mesmer in the okay. 18th century. Yeah, he kind of popularized the idea that if you transcended your mental state, then you'd be able to diagnose people. And he had a um, oh, was it? It was like a housemaid. It was like yeah, a, quite a young housemaid who he put into one of his like mesmeric mesmeric sleep it was a, a trance mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she was supposedly taken over by the spirit of a of a german physician and mm -hmm. would speak in a german voice and a german accent and would um yeah. diagnose people so it was a yeah it's a long-standing um i think she she did try and treat them as well but even then they pulled her back and said mm, stay away from the scalpel <laughs> but yeah it's a, it's a long-standing tradition definitely let, let um, me cut this guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. Have, have you watched the second Conjuring movie? Yes. Is that the Enfield? Enfield. Enfield yeah. One? yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I watched that because I watched 113 horror movies recently for no good reason. Um, did I get, did I mute for a second? There? No, you're, 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 you're there. You blew out for a second, but you came back. Um, so I, I watched that one. And I, what I found fascinating about that movie was that you know the little girl spoke in this man's voice and you know you're watching a movie so you're like it didn't really sound like this this is just a guy talking and then they played the actual audio yeah that that's sinister like a isn't man. it man mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i was obsessed with the enfield haunting growing up and there's a lot of parallels with the with the fox sisters because the two girls from the enfield haunting were from the, the real the real enfield yeah. poltergeist were 11 and 14 and mm. the fox sisters that started spiritualism were also 11 and 14 as well so i think that's quite it's just one of those fun little coincidences yeah. but I, just... yeah enfield's fascinating but again they um were caught out faking um faking uh, evidence at one time yeah. and they said it's because you wanted it you wanted you wanted this evidence and the house wasn't giving it to you so we gave it to you and so that's when you're left with this kind of horrible choice of, okay, does that discredit everything? Or yeah. So I, I can see the problem from the extreme sceptical side and the extreme believers side as well. I think Enfield is a, is a fantastic example of contemporary ghost hunting and, and contemporary sort of spiritual belief because it was only in the 70s. Yeah. So it wasn't that long ago. Well, and it, it was interesting how they played that part because uh, someone would, had caught it on video. They, they'd set up a video camera and she had faked this encounter where she threw over a table and stuff like that. And in the movie, the way it was explained was that, yes, they did it because they needed 
to see it, but that uh, what it ha- what they were saying was that the demon, essential or inhuman spirit, uh, I don't know why they just don't just say demon, um, had t- essentially told this little girl that if she didn't make it look fake, then she would hurt her family. Mm-hmm. Or the demon would hurt her family, and so that was why they faked it so that they could see it. I mean, it was a very like I I hadn't I'd never looked into the infield poltergeist before mm-hmm. but i remember and then i looked up that recording separately and i'm i am i mean it, it could have been just another dude it's only audio some dude talking but if that was really coming out of that little girl's mouth yeah. holy cow yeah the spirit of bill wasn't it Who, yeah <laughs> that there's there's um there's a mini series i think it was a sky mini series a few years ago just called the enfield haunting with timothy spall and that's it's only about a three four parter but if you want to just watch a, a dramatization of it, that I think is a fantastic, really fantastic, uh, yeah, interpretation of the Enfield haunting. It's fab. Um, so you have studied the, the Victorian era and their mm-hmm. their literature. You've studied the spiritualism. Um, have you ever? Uh, you know, I'm not going to just assume the goth aesthetic means that you also do seances. Have you ever? <laughs> taken part in any of the spiritualist practices or gone well, into I, that i do ghost hunting although now okay. we're supposed to call it paranormal investigation <laughs> but that implies that i know anything about science and <laughs> as we have clearly discerned <laughs> that's a hot no um so yeah I, it kind of i've started was it a couple of years ago i started doing um talks on spiritualism and kind of how they did it how seances mm-hmm. were done and it's mainly because I can't take anything seriously. Like, even if it's something I love, if there's not a, a laugh in the middle of it, I get a bit yeah. itchy. And so I started doing talks on seance and spiritualism and would recreate elements of seance, especially ectoplasm. Because, oh, cool. you know, if you're having a very dry talk and then you want to wake everyone up a bit, choke bad a bit back a bit of cheesecloth and bring out you know a, a rubber glove on a fake arm you've got everyone back in the room and also it's historically accurate so right. it, I, I did start creating um ectoplasmic hands spirit hands in particular had a, a real spike in popularity in the 19th and 20th centuries i kind of got a bit obsessed in in a sense of this is hilarious why doesn't everyone know about this and there were, there were two mediums, Helen Duncan, again, and uh, a medium called Mina Crandon, and they both had spirit hands. So I started off by, I would describe um, Mina Crandon's. I never made it because it makes me feel a bit queasy. Spirit um, hands. Sp- I, I, so when they were, I need to Google it. <laughs> when they were doing seances, um, I wrote this ridiculously long article about it for Haunted magazine a while ago. So track down that issue. It should be free online now, I think. Um <laughs> Yeah, they during seances, instead of just like ectoplasmic froth, they would manifest spirit hands. Um, some mediums had like wax casts made of the hand that were then, they're still held up now by the Spiritualist National Union and the, uh, the Arthur Finlay College, which is a psychic college in the UK, um, that these wax casts could not have been made by human hands because the hand had to dematerialise to leave the cast. So there's that. But um, Helen Duncan's spirit hand, which is one of my favourite spiritualist images, is is literally a rubber glove on a fake arm. 
And so um, amazing. That's proof of the afterlife. Well done. And um, Mina Crandon's was a piece of carved animal liver. So it's just this little bit of offal that's been chopped into finger bits. Um, and that was, oh. yeah, I won't tell you where it was stored, but you can imagine. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of that in spiritualism, but I'll save that for another day. But with, <laughs> mm, uh, oh yes, uh, as Eva Carrier, she hid a lot. And Einar Nielsen, who was a Danish medium, bit of storage. Bit of storage for the ghosties around the back. Um, but anyway, seance. Yes, I have done seances. I'm terribly sorry I derailed. <laughs> no, you're good. This is this is um, information that I didn't need is. to know, but it I needed to up, know. Exactly. It might come up in a quiz one day and you'll go, ah, yes. I remember you learned, the horrors. <laughs> you learn something new every day, mm -hmm. even if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I started then doing um, Victorian seances with none of the aforementioned techniques. These were just very <laughs> above above board, you know, um, like calling out, using things like slates, um, slate writing, bells, tambourines, um, very tactile uh, seance methods that aren't especially yeah. used today because the only things we really see in contemporary ghost haunting that are distinctly Victorian are things like the the crying out, knock once for yes, twice for no, yeah. whistling, bit of Ouija boards because everyone everyone nowadays has at least seven Ouija boards in the house, it seems. You can't escape them. <laughs> um, Did you ever get rid of yours, Jessica? Um, no, it's still up in my closet. Up in I have a game closet in this room actually i don't i have one i don't know what to do with it it's fine exactly. use it as chopping yeah. board if you yeah if you really <laughs> put a little extra spice yeah i've got a cheese board that's a, a ouija board as well actually so <laughs> she'll get some extra goth points for that perhaps. yeah um, we um when i was in my early 20s we had like a seance party mm -hmm. and that's what i bought it for so we used it once we did the party nothing happened and then i put it up in the closet and kind of forgot about mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> silently yeah frustrated with her dog yeah but um yeah no i i do do uh quite a lot of ghost hunting nowadays yeah, yeah. i have done for quite a long time actually have and, you done um, it at infield no it's private house the closest you can get to the enfield house is um a house called 30 east drive in pontefract which is kind of should we say the star the location of the film uh, when the lights went out and the producer of the film now owns the house and uh, paranormal groups ghost hunters from around the country rent it out uh, so many ghost hunting shows go there and rent it out for the night and supposedly it's it's haunted by the spirit of uh, a monk called is it father michael or fred depending on who you ask and that's a very very popular book sadly never not yet. Haven't been to Enfield, but I'm sure if that, I think it's still a council house. I think it might be. Yeah. So if it's ever sold off, someone's going to make some cash from that one. <laughs> I um the there's a murder house in Illinois or Indiana, mm -hmm. Herb Baumaster, and he um he was prolific in like the early 90s and 80s, and he killed something like 30 men. I mean, awful, awful mm -hmm. serial killer who eventually killed himself on a beachside, but his property um no one will maintain ownership of it because apparently it's extremely haunted 
Mm -hmm. And it's selling for extremely cheap in an overblown uh, retail or home home market right now. And my husband won't open a haunted B&B with me oh. in Indiana at the Herb Baumeister murder house, which I think is extremely terrible because it's very disappointing. Make, make a killing. I mean, yeah, people don't want to live in a murder house, but if they pay like so many people pay for these like haunting experiences mm. they'll pay to stay in a haunted place especially if you serve them breakfast in the morning like <laughs> exactly I, somebody needs to get you on could, this idea you could serve them spirit hands i see it's <laughs> not not i see a picture of this one that this woman kept in her hoo-hoo and it's awful <laughs> <laughs> but mm. um so you you do you do the um, paranormal investigation. Do mm. you have any experiences that you feel like defy reason and weren't you know matters of suggestion? Because I know when you're in that environment, mm. it's your the feeling is very much there. And even someone like myself who's extremely skeptical, when I'm in those environments, I'm a believer because like if something knocks on the wall near me, I'm out of there. Like I'm yeah. not going to wait <laughs> around and investigate. Do you have um? things that sort of defy reason that um, you'd be willing to share with us. Yeah, I think, well, I think uh, last time I told you about my, I might have Working done. dog? My, um, <laughs> my ghost dog. Um, right. But also the, um, yeah, the the dog at my sister's house, who, that was like my, what started my interest in the paranormal was that my, right, right. I'll quite happily say my sister's house, not where she is now, this was quite a few years ago, was haunted. And I will, go to my grave saying 100% that was haunted, fight me, you know, <laughs> it, it was, and I think I go into ghost hunts with a very high level of skepticism, maybe too much, because mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. what other people get from it is something that I don't let myself get because I'm always thinking, like I'm overthinking, oh, is that like an, especially with EVPs, thing like that, is it auditory right. pareidolia? I think because my, my, first paranormal experiences happened um, to such a high level they were quite grand you know I saw a figure in my bedroom at the time at, at my sister's house and we used to hear um, the footsteps that was the, the main thing that I've never been able to explain I think you can explain away seeing shadow figures and hearing sort of breath because I, I felt and heard breath next to me um, one night but the thing that I can never explain is that my sister's dog used to sit at the top of the stairs and used to watch as something mm -hmm. came up the stairs and across the landing and it was proper hard footsteps doing mm -hmm. the same route every night and the dog would watch. So it wasn't just, I'm hearing footsteps. It was, I'm hearing footsteps. I can't see anything. The dog is watching something. And that I've never been able to explain. My sister had some really horrible experiences there as well, like mm -hmm. being pushed and things being thrown around so that kind of cemented my okay I can't explain this it's both scary and it's it, it kind of exhilarating it is in a sense there's like a resolve in you that's like oh okay that there is something more I, I want more answers now mm -hmm. so I think mm -hmm. when people go out searching for for paranormal experiences even if they manage to shake hands with a ghost and sit down and have a cup of tea it would never be enough because you're still searching for that okay. that proof you know for someone to come down and say right big tick we're real um right. i think yeah things like i really like evps 
I really like EVPs. I think, like you say, it's it's very easy to get bad ones if you're getting just if you're using a little dictaphone, right. and when you try and enhance it and enhance it, and then a little crackle sounds like you know leave, yeah, because you've yeah. you've over over filtered it. But we've had some EVPs that were in former religious buildings that were directly related to the location. So um, I'm quite fortunate that I know a lot of people who are really into recreating things like Singapore studies, where you try and create um, atmospheres that replicate how the place once was. So if it's you know a place that once was associated with um, like an abbey or something, with full permission, I, I would never encourage anyone to ever go investigating anywhere that's religious or a place of rest without permission. Um, but yeah, we we had uh, we played Latin masses, we spoke in Latin, and we got some EVPs that were directly related, di words directly related to Catholic worship that weren't just you know like the responses. You yeah, would the responses. Say things yeah. liturgically, and then they would respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it wasn't just usual get out i yeah. am a woman you know it was it was very clearly linked and i think they're the sort of things that you you literally cannot explain away through a kind of a kind of auditory pareidolia and that's when you've got to you've got to you don't have to do anything <laughs> when it's best to use you know like a, a higher end um, multi-directional dictaphone so you're not spending your whole evening sifting through crackling sludge because someone's left the kettle on in the next room and it sounds like a demon right. you know <laughs> but even so it's it's still fun it's still fun i think even when you're not answering questions of eternity there's um there's a lot of right. fun to be had from maybe seeing a shadow figure at the end of a room which i, I did at an old schoolhouse a few a few weeks ago so a child-sized shadow figure across a room which i mm -hmm. can't explain because i was well rested for once and hadn't had a drink so <laughs> that I can't quite explain, but they're the nice things that keep you keep you going for the next one. But yeah, the, the religious heard, ones were best because of my interest in ghost stories. I've, I've I've heard a lot of them, and whenever someone has one, I'm eager to hear it. And I get a feeling from some of them, like just I don't know, the hairs on the back of your head will raise up, and you're just kind of like, okay, this that, that's a real ghost story. And then other ones, it's like flatline. And I've kind of used my own like barometer on that one. And um, when you were telling me about the dog, I got I got the feeling about that. I was like, oh, mm. that's not something I'd want to experience necessarily. So I do hold out that level of um, suspension of disbelief. There are things in the world that can't be explained by science, things that we haven't come to fully understand yet. Um, so while I am skeptical of things of this nature, which I think is healthy to be, you should have mm. that almost an over skepticism. Like if you're going yeah. to show me this, like really show it to me. But um, it does, there, there is a point where you're like um, extreme about it. You know, you're not willing to like let the idea that perhaps mm -hmm. there could be something on the other side, that there is a veil between worlds that isn't always as thick in certain places. Yeah. And um, I do, I do hold out that kind of, I don't know if it's a hope or not, um, but just the suspension of my disbelief that there could be other things out there. And so I'm not, I'm not totally discounting of it. I do know that sometimes when I'm listening to EVP recordings, um, the, the people who record them will suggest to you what they say, which I don't like because I think it places the idea of your, in your head, what this is. And I've heard quite distinctly different things 
that mm -hmm. I thought were even more related to the, especially the Herb Baumaster house is something that the one that I want to buy and turn into a BNB. Um, there have been a lot of EVP recordings taken there. And when I've listened to some of them, um, I hear things being said that are directly related to the cases that the investigator heard as something completely different and unrelated. I was like, how did you not pick up on this guy is like saying the like one of them specifically what I hear in the recording is herb herb is dead. And they said that he's saying something like, how dare you? And like you, how could you not hear? He literally mm -hmm. said the name herb herb I, I never know how to say that name but like um so yeah i don't like it when the investigator suggests to you what's yeah. being said because it does like um oh, implant yeah. yeah let me ask we're american you're you're british mm -hmm. uh in your studies of the of spiritualism what do you think are kind of standout differences between the way americans saw and did things versus the way um, the English oh, did because I, I mean, I know my people, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I don't know yours. However, let me just say this. Um, and this is completely off top off topic. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite, uh, you guys have a lot of panel shows over there in England. Mm. Oh yeah. And I have to tell you that Lee Mack and David Mitchell on what I lie to you. Yeah. I love that. I, that's the, that's I can't think of a whole lot of stuff that I watch that's English. But if you mm -hmm. haven't watched What I Lie to You, like Lee Mack is like my dude. Did you ever see Lee Mack's there I have not seen a sitcom. Just, just yeah. watched him on that. No, no, no. You need to get um not going out. Not no, again. Uh, this is uh, there's a ghost in it. There is. There is. There you are. It's related. <laughs> One of the Christmas I, specials quite late on. But not going out. Get the first. Get the first five series. Oh. Are, hilarious i love yeah, him yeah He's, i love get that on guy. that you'll that she's sorted <laughs> Just, i promise you you'll love it sorry for for de derailing so what do you think <laughs> were there any differences that you've noticed between how americans approached it versus the british yeah i think i think in the same ways that you could say about cross-continental differences today i think there's a lot of a lot of the big um american mediums of the time especially the big female american mediums like cora scott they were mm -hmm. they were trance mediums who filled enormous halls with um with speeches that were supposedly dictated via kind of spiritual spiritual knowledge so they would be these very long um lectures mainly on matters of kind of religious fervor and I think that's a, something that's distinctly American in spiritualism. Not that it didn't exist in the UK, but definitely the the high level of um, religious Christian, obviously, um, mm -hmm. obsession and reiteration. Because with people like like Nettie Coburn Maynard, who was um, she even wrote a book called "Was Abraham Lincoln a Spiritualist," which was kind of her memoirs yeah. with him. Um, especially her, yeah, people like Cora Scott, they they not only did these incredibly long, rapturous, you know, even like the whole, their lexis, the whole syntax of it was so overtly passionate and religious. And we didn't, didn't really have it to the same degree in the UK. It was, it could be just as, as wild, but a lot of it was more personal. Um, whereas uh, a lot of the, the Americans were really Jesus focused and mm -hmm. several American mediums when they would, they would channel 
different spirit different spirits can't speak that tea strong um they would channel different spirits and many would channel supposedly jesus and so they fell into oh. yeah they fell into this kind of umbrella of spiritualistic kind of religious fervor where they would argue that christ was the first was the first medium and so spiritualism was the most inherently godly and the most right and the most righteous religion because they are literally following in Christ's in Christ's form, as it were, because um, when mediums and spirits would manifest, it was seen as a kind of uh, legitimizing the uh, the appearances of, of Christ after he rose from the dead. So it was seen that spiritualism could explain away all the difficulties that these modern minds were having with the story of the resurrection. Because if it wasn't real, then how can we replicate it today with these godly gifts? So yeah. it kind of um, kind of pathologized in a way and and made the um, the resurrection kind of scientifically sound to the world mm -hmm. at large. And that was a distinctly, I think, mainly an American thing. It was, you know, across across the world, many mediums would have quite. Um, profound religious experiences and, and Jesus was a common a common figure but especially with the um the the resurgence of interest in um Christ's appearances after the resurrection kind of found its feet in, in America which I found oh, really interesting. That's yeah. bizarre. Like I, I never I never thought that they were channeling Jesus. I thought mm -hmm. it was most that that is I I feel like I'd probably have to fight someone if they if they tried that and then did it wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pick, pick pick an apostle, you know, don't right. go straight in. But, right, right. You no, know, many many did, and obviously many people channeled apostles, and you know, um, but yeah, yeah, Jesus was a a, a common common figure at the séance table. Yeah, it wow. it does lend you a certain authority when you're saying that you're channeling the literal son of god it lends a bit of that authority to you exactly, in that way yeah. too so it, yeah, it does yeah. make sense to me that people would you know if you're gonna do it go big or go home which exactly. is an american definitely american yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you're channeling your dead neighbor <laughs> son of god you can't yeah i know i've mentioned this before on the show. I don't think I did it with you, but there is a man out there. I want to say his name is Wiley Brooks who calls himself a uh, breatharian and mm -hmm. claims that he only breathes. He doesn't eat or drink. He doesn't need these. He eats five fifth dimensional food. And that fifth dimensional food happens to be a double quarter pounder with cheese <laughs> and a diet Coke from McDonald's. Not joking. He, this is on his <laughs> website. Um, Amazing. But what's funny about this and what made me think of him was the fact that somehow uh, in his reincarnation cycles, he was both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ at the same time. Now, there's a talent. Yeah. I mean, I mean, t talk about it's the it's really the opposite of channeling, I guess, because you're inserting yourself into other yeah. people. That's a weird way to put that. But you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it made me think of that because it's I, I I I get what's interesting though is I think that probably one of the best treatments on the Christian um, understanding 
of uh, resurrection and of Jesus's resurrection was written by uh, N.T. Wright, who is in England. I don't know. I think I don't know what part. Probably the main wherever the Church of the England. The main part. The main part. <laughs> the middle. The, Birmingham. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but not. I, I don't know where that church is that he that he's in. But he. Um, probably did the best work on resurrection. And it's so funny because I'm reading that and then I'm hearing you talk about people trying to use this spiritualism and to channel Jesus to justify this. And I'm like, it's wild where we are now. I'm so happy that that's not what we're doing anymore. <laughs> Just seems like a bad idea to me. <laughs> yeah, I think channeling religious figures um, definitely waned in popularity. I don't Thank think many God. people have done it in the 20th century at least there was um i recently wrote a article for 14 times um because i got quite it's just going to be a series of kate's obsessions through the years <laughs> i got really interested should we say in um psychic interactions with elvis because oh, yeah. I think in many ways elvis <sighs> is kind of a, a secular modern day cultural deity we see he he represents so much especially the american dream he really is across the world this kind of representation of idealized americana and so i started looking into um seances with elvis that had been preserved um oh you know that had been recorded video or audio audio i found two that were on um on audio if anyone wants to read any more about it go onto my patreon i'm doing a full elvis series um, I, am a, I am a patron. You are. I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> um, but no, that's. Um, I, I'll be honest yeah. with you. I would. I. The reason we we're talking is because I'm very curious about what you're obsessed about. So go into yeah. whatever it is. I'm happy. I'm happy to hear whatever it is that's piquing your interest. Yeah, it's. Um, there's there's a, a book called Elvis Afterlife as well, which is long out of print. That came out in the uh, early '80s, I think, and that was it was kind of like a list book. It was a very small paperback of people's interactions with the ghost of Elvis, either just before he died, like before they got the news, or after he died. And what he, psychologically speaking, it's a fascinating read because you see what Elvis had come to represent for so many people. So for right. one couple, this this guy sort of zoned out and fell asleep on the beach with a, with his girlfriend and they weren't working things out. And he had this kind of transcendental experience, kind of religious experience where he met Elvis and Elvis sort of guided him back together. And now they're married and they have 500 children and all the rest of it. And there's other instances where people were desperately unhappy in their jobs and Elvis came into their office or they saw Elvis from afar and he looked sad. You know, there's some are really little and some are really profound experiences with this this representation of Elvis, who kind of became Christ-like for a lot of these people. But at the same time, he's a very throwaway pop cultural figure. So there, there are two, minimum of two, I managed to find two, um, seances with Elvis that were committed to vinyl. And one was um, an American one, which um, is like the Elvis Presley seance. It's called the Elvis... One is a seance, yeah, one is a seance with Elvis Presley, the really poorly named. And the other one, which I've got <laughs> framed on my wall because I'm that girl, is a, the Elvis Presley seance, which um, absolutely fascinates me because it's, it's a strange collective of people. And this is a British one. 
And famously, yeah. Elvis never performed in, in Britain. He never came over here. Hmm. And this is oh. a seance with, with Elvis, uh, I think it was two years after he died, wow. at a church hall just outside of uh, London in a place called Watford. And it's the most hilariously awkward listen. It's, it's, it's very Alan Partridge, if you've, if you've watched <laughs> any of that series. It's amazing. It's like the medium doesn't want to be there and is so dismissive. <laughs> and she immediately clicks in, yeah, Elvis is here. And then halfway through, she'll go, oh, God, he's, cr oh, oh, he's crying now. Oh, that's not making things easy at all, is it? As if like he just wants to reach for the ether and bell Elvis going, stop crying. And they Americans have, running, running and, her time. Yeah, it's like, come on now. <laughs> I'm on double time for this. I should be home watching the telly. It's amazing. And they've got a, a woman there from uh, the Elvis Presley UK fan club. And she's amazing. She went to the States to see Elvis like 40 times. Wow. And they're all interviewed by this radio DJ. I don't know how he was a DJ because he is so insulting. He calls <laughs> the Elvis fan a freak. He describes everything <laughs> so unflatteringly. <laughs> And, you know, they can ask Elvis, he's the spirit, he's there, they can ask him whatever they want, they're big fans. And she asks, uh, this, this woman from the, from the fan club asks, what type of magazines does Elvis like to read? And this, you can ask the king of rock and roll any questions and you ask him about magazines. And Elvis's answer, I'm not much of a reader. Yeah, <laughs> so wow. profound, it's amazing, it's the most awkward painful 40 minutes it sounds and, wonderful yeah it's amazing it's it's madness so it, i've <laughs> i did a um a video not long ago where i i put my makeup on while discussing the elvis presley seance and it was yeah. a lot it, it was it went down really well but it was it's so bizarre that it's one of my favorite things and i i urge everyone to to listen to it because it, it shouldn't exist. I think they, they pressed, I think, 5,000 copies of this vinyl. Oh, wow. It, you know, really thinking this is going to be a big money spinner. You could find it in bargain bins for years afterwards. But it is <laughs> oh, one of the man. most amazing seances I think I've ever heard it, of. So I, I, I love, it, love that. Everything about Elvis's repose is, like, just draped in absurdity. So this kind of goes along with it, like... I, I don't know if you guys remember me last time talking about Elvis's gravesite being just like mm. awful and ghoulish and absurd. And like the idea that even after he died, people would just not leave him alone. Oh, no. <laughs> it's kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been very busy. He's been very, very busy, you know, but I mean, not he reading. never came not reading. He hasn't got that much yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he never came to England in life. So obviously he's going to come to the dizzying glittering heights of Watford. Like the middle of winter, it's like it's the most the Harry Potter experience is there now. But God, it's just no one well, goes to Watford, least of all Elvis. I, I would hope that when they built the Harry Potter situation there, that they would have a room with uh, Elvis Presley not reading magazines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or just He's just to be just off shooting the TV over and yeah. over again. <laughs> Him with the complete works of Shakespeare going, "See, I told you I would," you know. <laughs> <laughs>
Man, the 70s were a wild time. This takes place in the 70s. When did he die? 1976? 19... Uh, yeah, so still in the 70s. There was a lot of um, spiritual stuff that was just like mm -hmm. hokum, but like a lot of fun if you're looking at it from the outside. Just all the weird little groups and cults and things that people came up with through the 60s and 70s is quite quite a lot of fun. So yeah. I'm I'm glad this exists. It shouldn't yeah. exist. You're right. But I'm glad that it does. <laughs> oh, me too. Ima imagine being in the afterlife and suddenly you're, you're, you're dead on the toilet as you mm -hmm. died. And you, you, you have to get off the toilet to go and answer a woman who asks you what your favorite magazine is. <laughs> yeah. Like... That, that Welcome seems... to eternity. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so funny when you were when you were saying, and the and the DJ was very rude. I was like, it sounds right up my alley. Number one, yeah. And two, it also sounds very British to me. <laughs> oh, painfully, it could not have happened anywhere else. It, it, it's, yeah. Uh, so last time near the end of the show, we asked you our question about hope and what gives you what's giving you hope, and you talked about your puppy. Yes. Um, and so since we're nearing the end of our, our, of our conversation, I would like to extend that question, you know, besides, you know, not feeling well, I know that mm. you, you didn't feel well. That's why you had to, uh, we had to reschedule this, but beyond the not feeling well, is there anything right now that's giving you hope and motivation? I mean, you finished your doctorate, you, you go, yes. now you're waiting on graduation, <laughs> but, uh, what, what's, what's, what's making you still make videos and put in articles like what's what's pushing you on um still still the dog we're still gonna say still the dog and yeah. but also friendship i yeah. think it's such a very glib sort of miss america hands around the world sort of thing to say <laughs> but um yeah i haven't been very well recently and it's been going on for quite a few months and i think it's very very easy to feel incredibly isolated and incredibly yeah. lonely um especially when you've got so much work on and, and so forth. Yeah. But yeah. having little pockets of people just checking in or saying, do you want to look around? A, I went, you know, for coffee and to look around some junk shops with my friend Porridge the other day. And it was those little people checking in wherever they are. I have a friend called Porridge because, of course. I, I love it. No, I yeah. love it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's people checking in just from, you know, around the world, around the country. I think realizing that you're never actually alone and there's always someone who'll just want to talk about yeah. dead, Elvis dead Elvis for a few minutes that I think always gives yeah. me hope that there's, there's always something there's always something silly around yeah. the corner not everything has to be this big overblown statement you know people yeah. are inherently good and they'll pick you up even when you keep falling down I think that that kind of gives me hope definitely at the minute and my fluffy dog it was lovely, even when she kicks me in the head in the morning. It's in a cute way, so she can she can get away with it. Well, you have a point, quite I... quite a little dog, right? She's the size of about a loaf of bread. Right, right. <laughs> she's, she's like a Paris Hilton dog, but um, cuter. Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I think that uh, I had a friend in high school who we called Sausage, and so mm -hmm. my friend Sausage and your friend Porridge should meet so that someone can have a balanced breakfast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It'd be a crime fighting team. It would be amazing. <laughs> American sausage comes over to help yeah. porridge fight the 
Yeah, yeah, we should hook them up. That'd be good. Wow. Do the new the new Marvel universe. <laughs> so the the Mad Ones universe of yeah. superheroes, and they're the most ridiculously <laughs> named characters. Like, what what kind of powers would Porridge have? Uh, the power of bafflement. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Excellent. Uh, very well, very powerful bafflement. It stops mm -hmm. me in my tracks several times a day. So. <laughs> also. He shoots por hot porridge out of his out of his hands. I mean, I, there has to be Why something as well. Yeah. I mean, it's got to happen. I don't know what sausages is going to be, but it sounds horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's not dig too too far into no. sausages. Yeah, don't tell him too much theory. about spirit hands. He'll start getting ideas. No. <laughs> Just a cursory Google search. I've already seen too much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Keep that so in my heart. We do really appreciate you coming on and becoming, you know, across the pond friends with us. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I, if, if, if you ever want to, for me to say something funny, um, I can't, I'm not a funny person, but you can always message me and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about dead Elvis for 10 minutes. If I, oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but I, we, we thank you for coming on. Uh, you're a, a very love. Like I, I, I found that every time I talk about you, I call you lovely, and it's just because you're such a. And, I, and it's not just like, oh well, she's a looker. I'm just literally saying you're just such a lovely person to talk to, and I, oh, I you. very much appreciate conversation. I agree. Thank, thank you for you. coming. So on. you too. Wonderful. Um, so I'll tell mm -hmm. people where to find you. Um, you've got your project, Burials and Beyond, that can be found at burialsandbeyond.com. If you want the real stuff, you got to go to Patreon, though. So patreon.com slash burialsandbeyond. It's not expensive. It may be the least expensive Patreon I've ever come across. It's uh, a lot of people have like a, a, do a dollar <laughs> yeah. thing. I mean, it, it, it amounts to more because she's using pounds like some kind of British person. I have to like <laughs> figure out how much that actually is going to be. Um, but... Uh, it's most places it's like a dollar and you get like barely anything. You just kind of get in and get a couple things, yeah. but you like open up your entire world for like, I think yeah. it's a buck 50. Yeah. Um, and I and... post four things a week. Yes. And I, I just want people to see it and have a community. It's not about, I don't want, I don't want to rinse people. I just want people to get involved and yeah, yeah. make a little clubhouse. Yeah. You may be the first person involved in, spiritualism who's not trying to, <laughs> to raise the masses so <laughs> kudos yeah. to you for that thank you thank you <laughs> uh but beyond that you're also on twitter so if anyone mm -hmm. wants to send you a tweet or ask you about dead elvis at burials beyond anything else you want to point people to or anything like that um uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well under Burials and Beyond. And if you want to look at anything I've written recently, I have been in 14 Times Haunted Magazine and The Feminine Macabre. That so, sounds like an interesting magazine. Yeah, it's like a, it's a collection of essays on the paranormal. And I've written about the demon church. And it's a lot of fun. So it's Feminine Macabre yeah. Volume 2. So once... <laughs> Once you get hooked into any of my social media, I won't leave you alone. It's relentless. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's, it's, it's good stuff though. I, I, I love, cause I, you, you're actually the only uh, person on Patreon that I am a patron of at this point. And so oh, it's just oh, my posts and you and my posts and your posts as I'm looking through it. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I like both of these people. <laughs> 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 uh, so with that, we will we will let you go, and we'll 
go through all of our stuff. It's so funny because we're, like I told you, we're pre-recording all of our December episodes. And so I get so confused in telling people what's coming up because it's like, I, the next week we finish up most of the episodes. And so it's like going back and forth between like the end of December and then now. And so I'm like, Okay, what what are we doing now? This is a November episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this is a today episode. Uh, yes. But I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you go. I appreciate you. Um, we anything you ever want to talk about. If you hit some point of interest that you're like, I'd like to talk about this, and you don't have a uh, speaking engagement for it, and you, you want to practice on someone, we're here for that. We okay. want, we want to hear it. <laughs> we can do a whole episode on Elvis seances. I am so into that. <laughs> like, oh, I tell, I, I will prepare slides. It'll be yes. amazing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah. So with that, I will, I'll pull you off. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you guys for having me. Have a great, have a great day. And for the rest of you unwashed masses, you dirty, Dirty people. I shouldn't be mean to the audience. I'm starting to sound like that uh, <laughs> DJ. That Kate Why not? You're about. mean to me. Be mean to I, me too. That's the thing. I, I well, I'm self-deprecating and mean. I think you can you, you, you can only be mean if you're also mean to yourself. Like hmm. it, that's those are the rules. Because if you're just mean to other people, you're just kind of a dick. <laughs> um. So let me tell you what's coming up. One next week, uh, we have Shannon Ainsley, who is the coach of the Norwegian surf team, I'm pretty cool. sure, but he was also attacked by two great white sharks at the same time. And that's really, that's really what we're going to talk to him about. Um, very, I'm so, I'm so interested in hearing him tell his story because that's, that's wild. Um, after that, we have Troy Frazier from Revive Studios coming on to talk to us about the real St. Nicholas and where the saintly start of Santa Claus, where that where that came from, what it stems from, should be pretty good. After that, we're talking to Cody Cook, and we're going to talk to Cody about um, the nativity, the incarnation of Jesus, and how that actually uh, butted against the Semitic idea of uh, the Nephilim. Uh, in the the really it wasn't the Jews themselves; it was the surrounding areas who had these beliefs in the Nephilim and what they did and the overturning of that. Uh, we've already had that conversation, so I can tell you it's good. We also talked about women in the church, which is apparently surprisingly a point of passion for me. Always an interesting topic. <laughs> um, and then after that, we have our Christmas party. It's just going to be Yay! me and Jessica hanging out, probably We're reading. Sailing. Some, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sing for you unless you ask nicely. Um, but we're if gonna we, have fun. If we drink enough, we'll sing. <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone knows, anyone who is watch who's watching this now is a patron. Anyone who wants to be a part of the Christmas party and any of the other episodes that are coming up for December wants to see them early, interact with us during the recording, get on Patreon now. You're the, they're the only people who get to do that. So Patreon.com/slash/TheMadOne's. Beyond that, uh, I told you about the coffee rymcoffee.com promo code the mad ones i told you about the beef jerky righteousfelon.com promo code mad ones uh we're also on rockfin we're on odyssey uh if you're not if you're listening and not watching if you'd like to watch it typically we're live and uh we will do a replay where we're in the chat for the ones that aren't live so you'll be able to interact with us there uh youtube.com slash the mad ones if you want a shirt go to we are the mad ones.com slash store I'm just uploaded. 
and they're not approved yet, but I just uploaded all of our Christmas shirts. So oh, yeah. check those out. Um, and if you want a mug, I'm, I'm, I'm working on our merch situation right now. But if you go to the madoneshop.etsy.com, you can buy one of our mugs, which I think are really good looking. And later on today, I'm going to be loading the Christmas logos onto some mugs as well. So uh, there are going to be several new ones. Check that out. Uh, beyond that, I don't think I'm missing anything. Oh, on Twitter, I'm at Cam Harless. Jessica is at Soup Canarchist. And so yep. with that, I, th I think we're done. I think we hit That's everything. That's it. We hit so, it all. Dear, wonderful, beautiful, um, ugly listeners uh thank you for watching the show and as always uh you have a chance to be a light in the world so uh go light it up mm -hmm.